And so we're really hoping growers start to really think about, okay, I may be growing canola here, but what kind of stubble was it on? And are there good reasons to maybe preserve those parasitoids? Because in some areas of the prairies where there are some high densities of wheat midge, the great thing is that we do start to see parasitism move into those regions fairly quickly. Uh, particularly in Saskatchewan, where both midge and macroglinis penetrans have been well established for decades. Hello folks, and welcome to the Growing Point Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Boychin. Our goal with this podcast is simple, to provide Alberta farmers with timely, relevant, and valuable agronomic knowledge through interviews with experts in various fields of agriculture. We hope that the agronomic information from this and future podcasts brings value to you and your farm. In this episode, we speak with Jennifer Otani, a scientist at the Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada station in Beaver Lodge. Otani works on integrated pest management in agricultural field crops, examining insect pests and beneficial insects in canola, wheat, perennial grasses, and other crops. She's also a contributor to the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network. In this podcast, I chat with Otani about wheat midge on the prairies and in the Peace region. We chat about the life cycle, damage, and control mechanisms for wheat midge. We also delve into complex into the complex relationship that wheat midge has on macroglenes penetrans, a beneficial wasp that parasitizes wheat midge, and what farming practices impact its ability to reduce wheat midge populations. You can find the links that Otani mentions in the show notes. All right, everyone, here we go, and thanks for listening to the Growing Point podcast. How are you doing today, Jennifer? I'm really good, Jeremy. Thanks for asking me to speak today. Hey, it's it's a pleasure to have you. I'm excited about the topic we're talking about today. Um, it, it's it's all about bugs, which we're all a big fan of bugs. Um, our knowledge on bugs and insects in agriculture just seem to grow year by year. So it's an exciting topic. Um, you are very involved in in bugs in your research and what you do. So I'm hired as a pest management scientist and I'm with Ag Canada, actually to be more correct, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. And I'm based at the Beaver Lodge Research Farm. So I'm in a very unique growing region. I'm also in a geographically uh, fairly remote area but a lot of our field plot work and our surveying has encompassed the entirety of the Peace River region. So we get to do a lot of work through the Alberta Peace, but also into the BC Peace. So we we get to cover a lot of different crops growing in the region, but also uh, it's a fairly unique growing region compared to the rest of Canada and actually even in the world. So I'm, I'm curious, anyone I talk to who says you know, they're in a unique growing region, especially when it comes from the piece. I'm curious your perspective on what makes it so unique. Yeah, so um, I'm coming to you as a person that grew up in Southern Alberta, like within a stone's throw of the border, actually. I grew up in Warner, Alberta. And so for me, when I first came to the piece, there were so many things that were eye openers in terms of just, you know, it's different in terms of prairies, um, it's still absolutely prairie, but not the open prairie that I grew up in. Um, but it's also particularly unique because of the short growing season. Uh, right now, we just experienced the longest day of the whole year. And of course, you know, the day length is very long. 
at this point. We also conversely have shorter days in the winter. But in terms of what's happening for insects in our shorter growing season, and even for plants, I think one of the most eye-opening aspects for me is just how compressed the growing season needs to be for plants to do what they're doing, and likewise for insects to do what they do. And so, you know, some of our work, especially with wheat midge, when we first found it in 2011 in the region, it was really uh, quite an interesting pest for so many reasons. First of all, wheat midge had been well established throughout most of the prairies in Canada for many years, decades in fact. You know, I think it was the early 80s that in particular Saskatchewan had huge economic um, issues with wheat midge because it was establishing and spreading so quickly. For us, it took decades later for wheat midge to actually become established to the point at which we could detect it. And when we first saw it, it was in economically damaging uh, populations. And it wasn't just on the south piece. What was really astonishing to me was the fact that the damaging populations were as far north as uh, Fort Vermilion. And then Folaire was another area that just had some astonishing populations. So for decades, you know, we even looked for it when I first started at Beaver Lodge in 1999. I can remember surveying with an Alberta Ag Fieldman, John Huffman. And we were preferentially trying to look for wheat midge because there had been some responsive damage on grain that the Canadian Grain Commission had actually detected. However, like we could not find midge, couldn't find the cocoons, couldn't find the adults. And then here we are decades later in 2011, it shows up and it's causing damage. It's not even just a quality issue in those two areas I just mentioned, it was actually yield losses too. So, you know, it's a very interesting pest it's also really interesting because in our short growing season, I just mentioned to you about day length. So one of the things about wheat midge, if folks can remember the biology, is that the insect is basically overwintering right now in cocoons in the soil. Uh, it would be in what was last year's wheat. So in that wheat stubble, those cocoons are basically doing their thing. Jennifer, they're overwintering right now. So we're, fact, we're end of June. Yeah, we're poised for them to actually just start emerging. And I think we're going to start to see it even in parts of the prairies this week. Um, but yeah, essentially those cocoons are overwintering. But what happens is as those little flies start to emerge from the cocoons, they actually like to fly at dusk. They don't like a lot of wind. They like just a nice temperature. And they actually seem to be on the canopy, especially in wheat, under some very particular conditions. But I want you to also consider it overlaps fairly closely to some very long days throughout the Peace River region. And that was also some of our concerns because we're, we're basically in this northern growing region that has dusk for a lot of hours compared to other portions of the prairies further south. So it's lots of questions started with wheat midge um, when we first detected it. What took it so long to get here? You know, how far had it spread throughout the region? And then very happily, the work that we've been able to follow up on also was looking at parasitism and some of the natural enemies. So that's kind of what I'm hoping I can talk to you more about today. Yeah, I mean, you've you've certainly hit on a lot of interesting stuff already. Um, you know, what what do you think? took it so long to get to the prairies was there or uh, to the peace region was there something restricting it from going there because yeah. obviously we've been producing wheat in that region for much longer than than you know 2011 so the opportunity was there so why all of a sudden is it showing up then 
Yeah, those are excellent questions and exactly the same ones that all of us ask ourselves as we start to see it established. First of all, you know, why could we not find it earlier? And then why were we finding it where we did? I think probably the most reasonable set of answers are related to the fact that it's took a while for it to move. We do have a bit of a geographic boundary in the Peace River region. Uh, if you've ever driven from Edmonton up to Valley View, you will remember that there's quite a few trees in there. Um, and of course, that geographic boundary probably presented a bit of an obstacle. Um, however, it, it may also just be simply a case of it taking that long for them to quietly move. And remember, I mentioned about detectable populations, and that, that is a key. Um, you know, when new species invade areas, they have to reach a certain density for them to be detected. Uh, and so it is quite likely that they were, of course, here for a long time before we could actually detect them in sizable numbers. And, and so that's kind of a function of sampling of, you know, how prominent our wheat is. Uh, it may also reflect how much number one wheat versus number two wheat is produced throughout the region in different years. And of course, we know that it is, it can vary based on growing conditions too. So I think the reasonable answer is to really uh, hypothesize that they probably were here and just quietly starting to build up in areas. And it was a, a matter of time for us to do, to detect them. Is traveling part of their life cycle at all? Like, is that is that part of what they do or, or do they usually stay in the same area because if they're moving then what's what's moving them I guess yeah well I, that is a really good question because of course we're talking about a fly that is incredibly small and so they aren't well known for long distance travel like your typical let's say monarchs for example I mean they're they're the typical classic migration insect right? Uh, whereas wheat midge, we're talking about a fly that's really only about two, three millimeters uh, long. They aren't well known for long distance flight. So you are right. They are more typically moving within a, a more localized geographic area. Having said that, though, um, you know, they can move because they have wings. But the interesting thing with wheat midge is, uh, you know, they are pretty particular about when the adults will start to fly. They do like to stay canopy level uh, and so they are a little more localized than maybe some of our other insects so it, it is also really important to note that some of the initial introductions of wheat midge to north america and this is many decades ago uh, it was in moving wheat or straw or remember we used to have these stalks of grain that we would harvest Simply moving some of that material is how they also suspect that midge would move into new geographic regions, especially in um, the other side of the United States and into Canada, so that eastern side. So maybe for those who aren't as familiar, what, what is the actual life cycle of wheat midge and when and how is it actually impacting wheat? And I, I'm curious because you, you mentioned something earlier about where it likes to be in the canopy. Um, more specifically for wheat, is there other crops that it is found in? Yeah, so wheat midge actually can use other plant species as a host. Uh, the thing about wheat midge though is that it does very well on wheat and of course that's where we get it being becoming an economic pest. So there are other plant species that it can utilize and even some of our native grasses it can utilize but it doesn't necessarily do particularly well 
on those species. It really does find an ideal host in susceptible cultivars of wheat. Um, you asked about the life cycle. So um, if we were to kind of encapsulate that whole life cycle, there's a, a fabulous life cycle image produced by North Dakota State University. And I'm maybe gonna put some links to some things and maybe share with you folks. But the graphic image essentially starts out in the spring. So let's start with the beginning of our growing season. Um, I mentioned right now that we've got cocoons that are overwintering. And so those cocoons are last year's product, okay? They would have actually been the larvae that caused damage last year. So we have the cocoons that actually form in the soil and they're not super deep in the soil, um, but essentially there are larvae inside those cocoons that actually overwinter. Now the really interesting thing with wheat midge is that in the spring, it actually needs a certain amount of temperature, but also it needs precipitation at certain levels very early in the spring. So the really interesting thing here is that this growing season, we had a forecast map that actually calculates, or I shouldn't say calculates, the forecast map actually shows the density of those cocoons because it's sampled late in the fall. It actually maps out how many midge are throughout all of the prairie provinces actually, because we're fortunate enough that Saskatchewan and Alberta in particular do very intensive fall cocoon monitoring. So those cocoons, they can estimate the density and they actually start to build a forecast map that many growers access as soon as January and start to make some estimates on how or their relative level of, meat, of midge risk for the coming growing season. And it's based on those overwintering cocoons. Okay, so if we zip forward to this spring, I mentioned temperature and moisture are very important for those larvae that are inside those cocoons. If they get enough temperature, but also if they get enough moisture at a couple critical periods very early in the spring, those larvae then are triggered to actually move out of the cocoon up to the soil surface and to complete their pupation. Now this is really important because after pupation, we've got adults that start to emerge from the soil surface and timing now starts to be everything because midge emerging is not such a big deal, but midge adults emerging when the weed is starting to flower is dynamite. When those two processes coincide, it gives midge the perfect opportunity to lay their eggs on wheat at exactly the right susceptible stages and of course, when they're laying eggs, those eggs then hatch, the larvae move inside the developing kernel and start to feed. And that's how we start to get wheat midge damage. It's the larvae feeding inside those kernels. So the interesting thing with wheat midge is that this year, we're starting to see some, some worrisome trends. We saw the forecast map in January, which was based on cocoon densities. It was showing some red areas throughout a few pockets in the prairies. I shouldn't say pockets because some of those areas were actually quite large. The problem this spring, and I think most growers are very familiar, we're either getting too much rain or not enough. Some of the areas that got too much rain this spring, unfortunately overlapped where some of the wheat midge forecasted densities were predicted to be fairly high. The issue here is that we're looking at a situation where they had cocoons in the soil, maybe high densities, 
but they, those larvae have been triggered by enough temperature and enough moisture that we're now expecting higher numbers of those larvae to actually pupate than we were initially expecting based on what normally happens over long-term normal environmental conditions. So we're really hoping that growers, first of all, are paying attention to where the forecast map back in January predicted high densities might be, but also now starting to overlap where some rain has happened over some really critical periods. And that information is actually being mapped and updated on a weekly basis uh, within the weekly updates that the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network generates throughout the growing season. This week, we're going to have that coming out for wheat midge and we're expecting to see probably the best predictors of where we are expecting issues to occur for higher numbers of larvae to actually go through pupation. And therefore, you know, these are areas that we're hoping growers are either already planted midge tolerant cultivars or that they're really planning to be scouting pretty pretty carefully. Yeah, I was actually just looking at those maps not too long ago and, and yeah, the, the rainfall in those regions um, puts it looks like it puts us at, at quite the risk there. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, alignment with with flowering with within thesis. Um, is that does it have to be specific to that exact time? Is there a range around that or um, and I guess are they all emerging at the same time? And what happens if they don't emerge when that's happening? Yeah, so those are good questions. So the best case scenario is that midge emerge and it's not overlapping with when wheat is starting to flower. Uh, in that situation, um, the plants themselves are not at the same vulnerable stage. Because remember, we want, um, I shouldn't say we want, the midge wants the kernels to be at a certain developmental stages in order for them to feed. So that synchronization is very important. But when plants are actually flowering either much earlier or much later than when the midge are starting to fly, that's actually a, a better case scenario. And in those situations, we really want to remind growers that plant growth staging is critical. Because if you're ahead or behind in terms of growth stages, when those midge are emerging, it may not be as important. So it's it's that really tough combination of our events coinciding, and therefore then you've got to really be upping your game, making sure that you're assessing the infield counts. The other thing I should mention here too, is that we're really fortunate in Canada because there are a number of different tools that growers have at their disposal to help manage midge. Uh, and one of the really important tools that we are starting to rely on right now is actually the pheromone beta traps that are deployed across the prairies. Those pheromone traps kind of give us a, a better estimate of the relative number of adult midge that are emerging. And it also starts to tell us when they're emerging. Because in the end, we can make a lot of model predictions based on environmental conditions, but really what matters is what's actually happening in every specific field. So the pheromone traps are very valuable because they start to tell growers, okay, midge is starting to emerge now. Now we know that we have to follow and start to look at the scouting. We have to look very carefully at the stage of our wheat and is it vulnerable or not? And if it is actually starting that flowering, then we have to really intensively scout and actually assess the infield numbers of midge on the plant. This is where sometimes I feel like some growers are relying on wheat midge 
pheromone trap counts. And in fact, that's actually not your trigger for whether or not you need to manage. You really have to do the infield scouting and assess the numbers per stem. Producers using midge tolerant wheat, um, are, is it important for them to then uh, still scout or uh, with that midge tolerant wheat, is it required that they, that they still scout? The beauty of the midge tolerant cultivars is that they have inherent protection within the plant tissues. So your question about whether or not you need to scout midge tolerant varieties, well, the answer is no, not for wheat midge. Now, I hate to discourage anyone from scouting, though, because as we all know, there are other insect pests that can affect plants. So, I mean, scouting still remains very important. And one good thing to remind people about is hot, dry weather, aphids do really well. And unfortunately, aphids can be the other big issue in wheat. The other thing I do also want to remind growers is, yes, the scouting is important right now, especially because we're starting to see some really high grasshopper nymph numbers in parts of the prairies. And this crazy heat that we're getting last week and into this week, and it looks like next week, those grasshopper nymphs are really going to be a big issue in some areas. So I never want to discourage anyone from scouting, but in this case, when we're talking about scouting for wheat midge and midge tolerant cultivars, it's not required. And that is really the beauty. You know, when we talked about the forecast map, this is where we're really saying to growers, we're fortunate we have these cocoon densities we can build these forecast maps for across the prairie provinces, and we can estimate where we think high densities of midge are likely to occur. Many growers, of course, access that map in January and February, and they are making cultivar decisions because if you're in an area that is forecasted for high midge densities, and it's red in your geographic area, then these are areas that really growers need to think about using midge tolerant cultivars because there are so many benefits. First and foremost, it really means that they don't have to be scouting or managing midge, but they definitely have some advantages and it's it's a great option. Now, not all growers are going to be able to choose those cultivars for various reasons, or they may be feeling that they can manage it by doing the infield scouting. And of course, you know, growers have options. But the great thing is to look at that forecast map in January and February and to maybe make some decisions on cultivars even at that point. So we have we have midge tolerant varieties that producers can can implement if they feel like it's going to be beneficial. We have scouting and then we can use control measures if we're we're getting to those those thresholds of of one per four to five or one per eight to ten, um, depending on whether we're looking at, at yield or, or quality impacts. Um, but I mean, we're here to talk about something, and I, uh, I mean, we've we've talked very in depth now about wheat midge. Um, but I want what I wanted to get into was was parasitism, um, because there's been you mentioned your research. Um, there's been a lot of new information that's come from the peace region in terms of of parasitism and and the benefits that uh, and I'm going to butcher this name maybe Macroglenes penetrans um, yeah. is is a, a beneficial wasp um, that can actually help mitigate some of these impacts of of wheat midge. Um, how much can we really rely on this? Or maybe you know what is this, what is this parasit what is this um, beneficial actually doing to wheat yeah. midge? So I'm. I'm really excited to be able to talk about any sort of natural enemy, but in this case for wheat midge, 
I think many people maybe don't realize what a relative success story macroglenies penetrans is. Um, and when I say that, it's in air quotes, of course, but it's a really amazing parasitoid that is very much uh, tied to the wheat midge. And we have to thank a lot of really clever people who decades ago sought out uh, biocontrol agents uh, when they saw how serious wheat midge was on the Canadian prairies. Um, I, you know, here's a good example. Wheat midge is an invasive species. You know, originally, it's from that Eurasia uh, geography that we all know wheat evolved from. Um, and so too then wheat midge has invaded other areas of the globe. Um, you know, people like John Doan and Owen Olfert who were looking at how to manage wheat midge, uh, they were also on board with looking at biological control agents. And in fact, a lot of their work was pivotal in bringing these biocontrol agents to Canada to release and target wheat midge. Now, when we talk about parasitoids like macroglenes penetrans, it's really important to be very clear that they are very specific. Um, these are attacking only wheat midge. They utilize wheat midge larvae as a host. And in fact, they follow and sit inside the cocoons even that are overwintering out there. And it's actually in the spring then that they too are also similarly triggered to actually continue and pupate and then emerge. The really amazing thing with parasitoids like macroglenes penetrans is that they are very synchronized with their host, which is the wheat midge. So the beauty here is we've got a biological entity that is very much in sync with the wheat midge in biology. What actually happens is wheat midge, when the adults start to pupate and then emerge from the soil, uh, they start to fly on the plants and of course they're doing their business. The great thing about macroglenes penetrans is they are so synchronized with the host that they too are starting to pupate and emerge at a, basically the same time as the wheat midge emerge. Macroglenes is only about one, maybe 1 1.5 millimeters long. It is a very, very small wasp, but it really packs a punch. They are very specific at finding wheat midge eggs and that's what they parasitize. They actually laid their eggs on the wheat midge egg. So I want you to think about this like micro warfare that's happening in the wheat canopy because in my mind, it's just a fantastic battle. But essentially these macroglenes penetrans are seeking out wheat midge eggs. They're laying their egg on it. And in fact, that is how they parasitize right from the get-go. So they get uh, internalized within the host, they develop and they're kind of within and ultimately they're within the cocoon that is overwintering. So I want growers to really think about a couple things here. First of all, yes, we've got wheat midge cocoons in the soil. They're in your 2020 wheat stubble, um, but so too you have parasitoids within those cocoons and they will be valuable to you. And you need to be considering that even though it's last year's wheat, it actually holds some value because not only are there maybe going to be some midge, but the wheat midge parasitoids are also in there. And I don't know the exact estimates of how many uh, wheat midge eggs each individual macroglenes penetrans can parasitize. I, I'm, and this is where it's a bit of a gaffe here on my part, but they are so specific. And that I think is the real key here because I think most of us all understand that when we're managing susceptible wheat cultivars, 
Ultimately, when we're managing wheat midge, the decision is to apply a foliar insecticide. And unfortunately, the registered products that we have right now, they are not as selective as what we might hope, and they will actually kill all insects. So whether it's wheat midge you're managing, it, if you choose to spray, um, then it will actually also kill the macroglinis penetrans. And so it's a really interesting thing that's going on there. But the parasitoid itself, what we want growers to really understand is as soon as you're seeing wheat midge, you may not see macroglinis penetrans because they're so small and quite black, but they are actually out there and active in the canopy at the same time. And this is where economic thresholds start to be really important. You know, we, we preach at people, I suppose, um, to use economic thresholds. But in this situation, there are real implications. And what we're really wanting people to do is to understand that the infield scouting is so critical. Because if you have numbers that are going to cause damage to either quality or yield, then yes, obviously, you're going to probably need to manage it. But at numbers below those thresholds, please understand that you also are giving these parasitoids the opportunity to move into the wheat, to spread and to parasitize wheat midge. And in fact, that's actually to a grower's benefit just as much as managing outbreaking populations. And in fact, you know, there's good evidence to show that parasitism in some different ecological systems can have a really powerful regulating impact on some of these pest species. So the really cool thing that we were able to follow with our, uh, if you can say invasion of wheat midge, is that we were also similarly able to follow what happened for parasitism. So in the Peace River region, we, we were very happily growing wheat. And in 2011, that's when we first found economically damaging populations of wheat midge. From that point on for the first, I think it was almost three years, we saw very little in the way of parasitism in the wheat midge cocoons that we actually uh, dug up and dissected. And at this point, it's really important that I acknowledge two uh, graduate students who are now actually my technicians. Uh, Shelby Dufton and Amanda Jorgensen did a huge amount of work uh, with a master's thesis each, uh, looking at both wheat midge and how to monitor, but also some of the natural enemies. Um, but at that point, we were seeing very low levels of parasitism. So this is about 2013, and we were becoming more and more concerned, uh, asking the question, you know, has wheat midge established and somehow escaped these parasitoids? Because obviously that would be really bad. No natural enemy, that would be a disaster. Well, the next year we do and have done our annual canola survey that is done in canola at flowering. We've been doing that since 2003 and we were very fortunate because at that point on, I, I had made the decision that we would start to actually assess what kind of stubble was underneath the canola at the same time as we would perform our sweeps. And of course, so we're busy collecting in canola that's just starting to flower and kind of mid flowering. Our interest at that point was to be assessing ligus numbers and some of the pests in canola. But what was absolutely exciting to us is we brought the sweet net samples back in, we started to process, and lo and behold, there were thousands of some of these tiny little black wasps in our sweet net samples. Well, of course, then we sent them off. We were able to get a taxonomist in Ottawa to help us identify them. And sure enough, it actually turned out to be macroglinis penetrans. And I guess, you know, Jeremy, it's really important. We do 50 sweeps in canola 
but we were literally in some sites finding hundreds of these tiny wasps. So first of all, we felt really guilty for killing them so that we could actually count them. But most importantly, we were super excited because up until that point, the parasitism level in the cocoons was really very low, almost non-existent. And in fact, now we had some evidence that first of all, macrogleanings was there, there were adults, they seemed to be in more places than we previously even anticipated they could be. Um, and then really interestingly, we were able to look at our canola survey data and that stubble that I asked my poor staff member to keep track of, uh, we were actually able to track it back that these sweep net samples that had macroglenies penetrans in the hundreds, they were actually collected on canola that was standing over top of wheat stubble. Well, at that point, we really wanted to start to communicate to growers because uh, this is where crop rotation and proximity and just all of those good things that growers do on a day-to-day -day basis, it really starts to coincide. One of the big concerns that we have at this point uh, throughout the Peace River region, and we're pretty confident it happens all the way across the prairies, is any grower who is rotating uh, wheat, then canola, they actually have probably sitting in that soil, uh, not only some wheat midge, but especially the parasitoid macroglenies penetrans. When we were doing our canola surveying, we focus at that early flowering to mid flowering. We also know that growers, um, when they're managing their canola flowers, uh, they often are putting down some fungicide that would coincide when we were actually surveying. We also know that some growers do contemplate putting tank mixes together where they actually are incorporating insecticide with that fungicide application. And now what I really want to emphasize to those growers is please consider stop doing that. Um, the big thing, they may be managing an insect pest in canola, but the big thing that they have underneath in that stubble is actually the macroglenies penetrans. They start to emerge and they actually stay in that stubble, in the canopy. And when there's a wonderful flowering crop like canola that presents both nectar and pollen, um, we know from macroglenies penetrans biology that they need to feed a little bit. And in fact, we're very confident that they were sitting in that canola because they had just emerged from the soil, they were feeding on some nectar, and they were preparing to move to the adjacent wheat. Well, a grower who does that tank mix and does prophylactic insecticide applications would have completely killed out those hundreds of macroglenies penetrans that we managed to collect. And so we're really hoping growers start to really think about, okay, I may be growing canola here, but what kind of stubble was it on? And are there good reasons to, you know, maybe preserve those parasitoids? Because in some areas of the prairies where there are some high densities of wheat midge, the great thing is that we do start to see parasitism move into those regions fairly quickly, uh, particularly in Saskatchewan where both midge and macroglenies penetrans have been well established for decades. You know, we were very fortunate throughout the Peace River region to actually have some very high levels of parasitism. In my mind, they were quite high. 60, almost 70% of the cocoons were parasitized. That's an incredible number. Um, now, not all fields were that level, granted, but what it does show us is that first of all, macroglenies penetrans is well established throughout the Peace River region. 
And if we are able to manage and give them a chance, they will be a very important vital tool in managing wheat midge populations. So we're hoping that growers really consider that there's actually some value in their wheat stubble and potentially that they maybe need to be managing it so that they get as much value out of every square inch of their growing acres as possible. So that, that, that interaction between microglenes and wheat midge isn't just exclusive to your wheat crop and the decisions that you're making in that wheat crop, whether it be controlling for wheat midge if you reach thresholds, um, but the decisions you make in the canola crop that comes after could actually impact future wheat crops and how well that parasitism will benefit you in those future wheat crops, if I'm understanding you properly. Yeah. No, you're spot on. That's exactly the message that we're, we're really wanting to make sure growers can conceptualize. Because I think um, quite often we talk about one pest, one solution. Um, and, and I mean, that's less so happening now. But I think sometimes people will get really caught up on managing the most urgent problem. But in this case, it, you have totally interpreted it correctly. You know, the wheat midge is in regions. We know it's really now throughout all of the Canadian prairies, so growers need to kind of adapt and manage things. Um, but with the macroglenes penetrans, you know, again, keep in mind, we're dealing with one generation per year. So if growers can manage their wheat stubble and get whatever benefit from those parasitism or parasitoids as possible, that would be the best case scenario. Because remember, this year's macroglenes penetrans, they will move into this year's wheat, okay? The only place they can come from are those overwintering cocoons. So if growers are managing their canola that's sitting on wheat stubble in a certain way, they could actually eliminate any of their macroglenes penetrans and therefore prevent any of them moving to the adjacent field. Because let's face it, on the Canadian prairies, um, we've got some pretty tight rotations in terms of our options, right? And wheat, followed by canola is not unusual. So if anything, yes, try to imagine that you've actually got a valuable resource in your wheat stubble, wherever it is, and start to try and manage it so you can benefit. So uh, the, the, the gist I'm getting is that really, um, obviously prophylactic use of an insecticide, you know, complete avoidance of that. Um, putting it in because we're going over the field is not a good idea for that that beneficial and your potential future wheat crop. Um, does this change how we make decisions around threshold or are we or does this just strengthen the discussion around this is don't don't be making movements until really we reach that threshold number? Yeah, that's exactly. So the, we're really wanting um, we don't need to adjust thresholds. We, we just need to start to use them as correctly as possible because by not applying insecticide when you aren't at a threshold, and, and this can be for any pest, and in fact, it also applies now in this canola that we're talking about. Um, if you can avoid applying insecticide, if you don't have threshold numbers, then you're really giving natural enemies that opportunity to start to exert some control. 
And in this case, it really is about preserving and managing macroglinies penetrans so that ultimately they hopefully benefit because sooner or later you are going to be growing wheat and it is probably standing beside that field of wheat stubble. And yes, absolutely. So really, this is again, if anything, a real boost for please use economic thresholds. Please do the infield scouting. I know it's always really difficult, but having those valid estimates of populations of pests is critical. And we're really fortunate because many of our field crops now have some very solid action thresholds, but even more importantly, solid economic thresholds from which growers make economically based numbers or they're making economically sound management decisions. And I think this is the key thing. So yeah, absolutely. We're hoping folks do the infield scouting, use those thresholds, and then really just hold off if they don't need to be spraying. No, this is great information. And I mean, all this is, it's interesting and it's fun to see this new information and new knowledge around these beneficials come to light um, and, and kind of change the way we perceive the the whole system. I mean, there's there's ways we look at fertility in the system and how one crop affects the other but it's it's we open up a whole new light when we see how the decisions we make in one crop affect how a beneficial relationship with a pest impacts a different crop um so it's exciting information and jennifer i greatly appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today is there any other things that you want producers and agronomists to know before we end here today well i think Probably we're anxious that folks are really paying attention to, especially this week's predictions for how wheat midge development is progressing. The key thing that we're also really hoping to emphasize is that we're really on the cusp of the fact that the wheat midge are starting to emerge now. So if anything, the time for the infield scouting is really upon us. And it's a really tough insect. I, I totally appreciate and feel for everyone that does infield scouting for wheat midge. Um, but this year, areas of the prairies are definitely facing some big risks. So we're hoping folks can get out there, do the scouting, and really start to understand that those economic thresholds hold value both in not spraying, but also if they need to be applying control, uh, you know, to really just understand that everything is all linked together. You know, it's really an interesting example because here we have some very concrete examples of where one crop and just spatial uh, proximity makes a big difference in terms of macroglinies penetrans. The great thing is that we know that a lot of these natural enemies actually function like this for all crops. And I think the wheat midge and macroglinies penetrans relationship really just drives home how important and how economically uh, valid uh, these relationships can be and hopefully growers are kind of taking that on board and understanding that every square inch does matter on their farms and hopefully they're managing them to the best of their abilities. Absolutely. Well, what, what I'll do is I'll make sure I'll share that link um, that you mentioned about the, the life cycle uh, and we'll also share the link for the Prairie Press Monitoring Network. Um, I know a lot of, of people are already um, subscribed to that, but if, if they haven't. It is very valuable information that um, I know I enjoy taking a look at every time it comes to my inbox. So we're, we're greatly appreciative uh, for that information, Jennifer. Yeah, great. Thank you so much again for joining me today. 
and hopefully we get to do this again in the future. Great. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the Growing Point Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a second to rate, review, and share this podcast with all of your friends. This helps us grow and get our message out. You can also sign up for the Growing Point newsletter by going to Alberta Wheat or albertabarley.com and sign up for our mailing list. This will help you stay up to date on all the agronomic information we share through articles, interviews, and the newsletter. See you next time.